Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. This is Cricket Lou and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Larson. And today we have a special guest. I would like to welcome Bert Hubert from Power DNS. Welcome, Bert. Hello. Good afternoon. Yeah, we're spread across multiple time zones here. It's late morning for Cricket and early afternoon for me and uh, early evening for you. Yeah, it's 10 past 7 here, 12 past 7. So it's, uh, it's evening uh, right now. If we could just get somebody to participate in, say, Australia, we'd really span the globe, wouldn't we? Yeah, but then you then you have that horrible challenge of having these sort of global conference calls where there is one person in New Zealand who lags one second behind everyone else, and that's that's. <laughs> right. I had a project like that, and and it's 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 sort of horrible. It was like, okay, we can could we do this over email, maybe? All right. Well, Bert, do you want to um, tell us about your day job about PowerDNS? Yeah, yeah, I love to. So, so um, yeah, it's a bit of an old story. So, I I I I founded Power DNS in 1999, and for sometime it was a commercial project. Then it it hibernated as open source for many years, and then all of a sudden it became a, a going concern as a business again. And that led me to doing a lot of uh, marketing and and sales and a lot of sales and um, and that I, while while I can do that, it's it's very odd for people to realize that uh, even after uh, thirty years of programming, that's actually what I enjoy doing most. So most of my day is sort of pining for more time to do actual uh, development on DNS and Power DNS. Uh, but I also spent a. Uh, uh, inordinate amount of time on uh, RFPs and, and and actually business and, and marketing stuff. But um, if, if 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 I had my way, I would spend my days in in Emacs again. But it's uh, <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. I'm so glad you said Emacs instead of VI. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so so actually, PowerDNS has we have, we have five people actually uh, on our development staff right now and. The nice thing is we are really in an editor agnostic zone, so we don't. We really were like, okay, fine, fine that you use Emacs, it's fine that you use VI. And we we have even we have one guy using some kind of well visual editor that that can use a mouse and stuff. But that's <laughs> we're all we're all okay with that. We're all okay with that. He's the youngster, I guess. <laughs> Actually, I think yeah, I think he is. He is, but he's also he's stunningly productive. So so I, I cannot hold it against him uh, a lot. All right, well, let's talk about PowerDNS. You've had several products uh, over the years. You started with the PowerDNS authoritative server, and then you've released the PowerDNS recursor, and then most recently DNS dist. I mean, do you want to tell us what you're up to? Yeah, so so we, that's a good question. So it's very interesting, actually. So if you look at the world of DNS, it really falls apart in, in, in a number of components. So you, ha you have the, the, the large-scale hosters that host millions of domain names and have millions of uh, dollars or euros of uh, associated revenues with that and and they're all cheapskates um, so it's very it's very difficult to make any mm -hmm. kind of to get to get sort of the authoritative people to share the burden or share the load of developing uh, authoritative servers and um, but still we, we yeah that was what we started with and we, we were sort of the first ones to do a database uh, backed name server and that's, that's quite solid now uh, like five years ago, we added DNSSEC to that, which was a very interesting challenge to do that to a generic database pack. Because DNSSEC, of course, requires this concept of knowing the previous and the next name, so you can generate the NSEC records. And that's not something that a SQL, right. a generic SQL database, is going to do for you, because it has a very different concept of ordering, ordering than DNS canonical ordering. 
So that was a very interesting challenge to get that right. Uh, recently, of course, the the, the DNS resolvers have, well, they're, they're under sort of constant attack, these, these pseudo-random subdomain attacks and amplification attacks, so uh, a lot of development time there is, is spending uh, is being spent on making all that stuff more more robust and also more more featureful. And then, sort of without thinking it through too much, we we launched this DNS dist load balancer uh, product, and um, and we actually sort of I, I sort of made that because I, I sat there and I had, a ex I had I had an excuse why I had to make it, but I also just felt the need to have some sort of uh, another layer of indirection in DNS by which you can send packets from A to B based on arbitrary rules or regular expressions or even just this uh, expressions uh, on, on packets and that has sort of really taken off with for a sort of 1.0 product which we launched in um, I think well, at the end of well, no, in, 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 in a few months ago we, we launched DNS dist actually and, and it is, it's been taken up by the world at an incredible clip. So people people were even running pre-release versions. So before we even released 1.0, we had a very large uh, uh, cell phone operator, and they deployed DNS dist straight from GitHub onto their onto their millions of customers. And we were, we were like, well, we were, we were very grateful that they did wow. that. So we said, look, why are you doing that? And they said, well, we were down anyhow. Um, <laughs> So it, uh, their use case is is, is interesting. Um, they they have a DNS infrastructure that they cannot change a lot because it's full of legacy. Uh, but they were also under attack from uh, um, broken uh, routers that they had at uh, at home with people. So CPE uh, stuff that was being an open relay, mm. and so they faced the challenge of either uh, reflashing the firmware on a million uh, routers in people's homes which was not uh, an attractive uh, thing to look to forward to. Or they could put DNS dist in front with a bunch of rules to protect their legacy uh, infrastructure. And so they deployed that straight from GitHub um, at the stage where even we weren't running DNS dist in production. But yeah, it solved their problem and that, that helped a lot in, in, in maturing the product. Um, so DNS dist is really is a case where you where you make a product and instead of really managing the product, it's the product that takes you places because all these feature requests uh, come in. But it's been a really exciting uh, ride uh, that way. Yeah, it's a it's a very very useful piece of code. Uh, I've used it myself. Yeah, Barrett, I remember when you announced it. It was I think you presented on it at a DNS Arc workshop in Amsterdam. I think. Yeah, there was in Amsterdam. There was in May two thousand fifteen. And that was sort of where we asked the question to the, the, the DNS community because DNS dist is, of course, fundamentally another layer of indirection. It's a thing that sits between you and the name server mm -hmm. and does additional stuff to it. And we should always ask the question, is that something that we, that we need? Do we need a, a proxy server in front of our DNS? And we didn't actually know... Uh, what the answer would be. We wrote it because we found it cool to do, but that, that is, of course, a dangerous justification to do anything. Um, uh, <laughs> so then we asked the right. DNS OARC, and then, by the way, I, I, I so appreciate the DNS OARC uh, meetings for their, their expertise and, and really bringing uh, together all the best people in, in DNS and all the best presentations. So we asked everyone there, so do, should we do this? Should we do this layer of, of, of interaction, or should these the features that we are adding, should they actually be 
in the name servers or should the bugs we are papering over shouldn't they actually be fixed in that legacy infrastructure but the, the, the sort of amazing thing when we for me was when we asked all these really smart DNS people this, um, do you think we should do this the, the, the feedback was universally yes and why haven't you done this a few years ago already well, as you, as you experience with that carrier customer that adopted, as you say, directly from GitHub, there are any number of reasons that you can't upgrade uh, the DNS infrastructure. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've been in the business of trying to make it easier to upgrade your name servers for a long time, and there are a lot of, a lot of people who are running old infrastructure. Uh, yeah, so for example, when uh, one of our initial deployments uh, we only used DNS disk to add the feature to uh, send uh, truncated answers to any queries. That was really the only feature they needed. Uh, and their backend, their, their backend wasn't up to it. Um, but that's sort of the philosophical question that, that if, 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 if we are an enabler of allowing people to continue running this, this, this ancient the legacy stuff, then we're not really helping the world. Um, we're helping individual people, but we're not we're not sort of making the world better. So as a concrete case in point, there is so we have PowerDNS Authoritative Server 2.9.22, which is like the Windows XP uh, of PowerDNS. Um, <laughs> it refuses to die, no matter how 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 sternly we tell everyone that you're crazy if you run it. It's still, I think. Probably by domain count the largest PowerDNS installation out there, even though we haven't done a release in the 2.9 train in six years. And there's a killer bug in 2.9.22 which actually kills your interoperability with Google Public DNS. And um, and then we wrote a DNS dist module that fixes that bug for you, and thus enabling the Windows XP of PowerDNS to stay around for 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 another decade. Um, well, okay, but I, I can Apparently, that's that's what it's what it sort of takes to get this stuff uh, deployed. Well, I think the internet is a better place because you guys have written DNS dist. Um, it is certainly a more fun place because what what I really really enjoy about it is you can log <laughs> into the console, get a real time overview of whatever uh, traffic is hitting you, and uh, and whenever we do that, sometimes we just do demo and we, we shove DNS dist in between, even without any policy. And then when people go look at the traffic that is coming through, they always find a few lame delegations, or at least delegations which they are lame for, uh, or 12 old machines still asking uh, recursion desired questions to an authoritative server. So you always, you always learn something. And so in that sense, it's, it's, it, yeah, I, I do think that it, it has improved the world, but I, I also sometimes worry that we are papering over um, issues that have better been fixed in the actual backends. Well, I think that's a great segue into our first question. Let's open up the mailbag. And the first question we have is from Nick Waller. And Nick asks, how can I measure the number of lookups for each resource record in my DNS zones? And he says, for context, several of the companies that I've worked with have accumulated a large number of quote-unquote legacy entries in their DNS zones. And then he goes on to say that these typically refer to uh, resources that now have newer names assigned. And he goes on to say, some people have suggested that this is an application side concern, but I don't agree. This is a moderately challenging problem if all servers are HTTP servers. It gets more challenging if you also have uh, HTTPS and even other services, SSH, uh, Active Directory, and so on. And then finally, he says that he's using uh, Amazon Web Services Route 53 at his current job but he doesn't need an AWS-specific solution. 
So what do we think? Yeah, so, so we get this question, we've been getting this question a lot. And interestingly, uh, from our perspective, we haven't ever done anything with it because we found that the only people that want to get these kinds of statistics are people that are selling DNS by the query. And, uh, and that wasn't really a use case that got us as open source developers um, excited because um, I write free software and that doesn't necessarily mean that I will go out and write infrastructure uh, that uh, specifically ties into your business model. Um, so we, for a long time we didn't do it. Um, but in generically what is interesting, so we have this protocol called DNS uh, TAP. Uh, which allows you to export a stream of all your queries uh, over uh, uh, to a file or a socket or whatever. And that is, is very efficient. So it's based on Google protocol buffers. And that means that you can have a name server that says, uh, okay, whatever, I'm going to serve names for you. But I have a very efficient binary log of all uh, the queries that I have received. And I will offload those, those maybe via the network to some tool and that tool can do all the statistics uh, that it wants so we built that hook uh, I think half a year ago something like that so it's in DNS dist it's in the authoritative uh, server and it's also in the recursor and if you if you let that speak to, to a simple Python program that makes all these statistics you can go wild you can make any kind of uh, reporting you want and at a very low overhead to the the actual name server so this is also a little bit my, my philosophy that if you if you so if for example from the, from the question that came in that's really can we discover old legacy domains that are still receiving queries or not but most often when we get this question is we want to meter our dns usage and uh, hook this up to our accounting systems and uh, in that case my answer in, in our philosophy mostly is well look that's a business need and we will give you the socket that gives you the data you need but you need but if, if you want to turn this into something that, that's proprietary for your company then please go ahead and, and benefit from this uh, socket over which we send you the statistics and yeah that's that's really how we look at it yeah we uh we have something that's i suppose somewhat similar i agree uh, totally about that you can do this with passive dns we we did an implementation where we have the ability to turn on like a zone statistics checkbox for any list of zones and we can track last queried for rr sets within the zone so you you could easily go back and look and say oh well this uh since i turned it on this rr set has never been queried <laughs> so uh, perhaps i don't need it anymore in the zone yeah, yeah i think it's pretty cool cricket then so what's the use case for people who want this feature is it so they can see what's not being queried? Yeah, I think it's the the idea is that I, in, anyway in 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 the use case that we designed for it's I have a really big zone. It's cluttered up with stuff. Some of the stuff in it is uh, you know A records registered by Windows machines that never remove themselves and they're long gone. Uh, they're never coming back, and I just want to be able to take out the cruft from the zone. Can you tell me what the cruft is? Um, and I'll measure cruftiness by uh, how recently it's been queried or whether it's ever been queried. Uh, I think this is a fun use case. I mean, whenever you find a strange entry in a zone, you're like, can I remove this? Can I, can I not remove this? Mm -hmm. will, will the world come, come, will the world burn down when I remove this? And if you see that, 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 if you see that the last query for that name was in, in, in 2014, 
um, then then you can say, well, okay, I think this can go. Um, the only thing that that would slightly worry me is that that let's say you have a that the name is actually a target of a C name. Uh, so you would mm-hmm. never get queries mm-hmm. for that actual name. Um, it would never be the Q name of a packet that came in, uh, but it would still be used in the answer. So you might think, well, we never get a query for a server one dot my and remove it, and then find out that that's the target of a C name that actually is powering your whole infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, but of course, if you're the server developer, you can you can write the statistics in such a way that you actually account for domain names that are the target of a C name too. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's great. I mean, this is uh, I, I, have, I have been in this situation where you find this zone, and uh, to this day, if you look at my my own zones, I really enjoy this story. Uh, to this day, in many of, of my zones, you would find an entry that says uh, ahu. That's 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 my Unix username hu. dot And uh, that entry was actually because that was my first system administration job, and that was a host I had within uh, Kazema.net, which was a, a cable company. But the fun thing is, mm-hmm. uh, so this lives in some of my SOA records to this day. Um, that name actually still exists. So it was last used in 1997. Uh, this cable company <laughs> is still around, and they're still carrying that name in their zone. Uh, although I left in the year 2000, so for 16 years they've been carrying the name around in their zone because no one there knows what it's doing. <laughs> Your fame lives on. <laughs> yeah, my fame. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're, they could remove it. Nothing would happen. But but they, yeah, they're probably still wondering. Yeah, well, let's let's leave it in because we don't want to see the world burn. Um. Until this podcast, anyway. <laughs> Until this podcast, yeah. Well, that's that's another question. Maybe you sort of segue a bit into that. Is that at many large service providers, there is no one that really cares about DNS anymore, and they're not listening to this podcast, and they're not coming to DNS OARC, and they're not participating in the IETF, and they're not going to RIPE. Yeah, yeah. Quite they sure. don't know anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a real luxury. It seems these days for for even the largest organizations to have people who are dedicated to DNS. Yeah, and it, it is, and so we we so as, as as we go around in the industry, then we meet many uh, service providers, and we find a very diff- well, widely differing ratio between sort of people that can touch DNS per million subscribers, mm-hmm. and then we have these like twenty million subscriber cable companies that have two guys that touch DNS. Uh, and then in some other places they might have uh, seven guys for one million users and and then we we recently encountered a a very large service provider that really had no one that dealt with DNS uh, anymore and and they were really leaning on a sort of heavy-duty support agreement and they would escalate basically any any issue Mm. uh, to their uh, to their vendor and by the way, that's more so. That is more so the case in Europe than in the US, because in the US you, you really see. So you see, for example, uh, Paul Ebersman uh, of, of Comcast uh, doing these wonderful presentations about their experiences with DNSSEC. Okay. My my former employee, Paul Ebersman. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah, he's nice. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we love to talk with him. And uh, but he shares he shares what he knows. And uh, but but he at a recent uh, UK NOF uh, meeting uh, in Glasgow. Uh, he shared that DNSSEC was not that much of a burden on their team. It was only three or four hours a week for their 10-person team. And uh, and that's, of course, as it should be if you have that many subscribers. But if uh, we work with, with, with a number of sort of similar-sized service providers, and we'd be hard-pressed to get one person to do anything with DNS there. All right. 
should we should we move on to the next question in the mailbag? Yeah, this next one's a good one too. It's the one from Jesus. How do you suppose you say his last name? C E A. Uh, maybe uh, Sea. Maybe Jesus Sea. Yeah. So so Jesus says, uh, "Hello guys, I've been listening to the podcast since the very beginning." Great work. Thanks for your effort. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for the great question. He says, this is my question. Let's Encrypt is an X509CA able to create online free X509 certificates for servers. To probe ownership of the domain, you have two choices. Uh, provide a given document with a given content in a given URL. This only works for web content. Or create a text record with a particular name and a particular value. This could be useful for web content, but also for chat servers, SMTP servers, etc. He's written a program implementing the Let's Encrypt protocol, updating the DNS entries required using dynamic DNS. But he finds that unsatisfactory for a number of reasons. Uh, one, he says, if I allow dynamic modifications to DNS, he loses the ability of editing the zone by hand. Uh, security is a concern. To reduce the risk, he must delegate all the addresses that he needs to update to their own zones. This could help with the previous point, too, but the administration is a nightmare. Uh, secondary propagation, even with notifications, is going to take a potentially long time. He says minutes or hours. Uh, he was thinking about delegating those records to a fake Python DNS server implementing the ACME protocol, which is the Let's Encrypt protocol, delegating uh, the record to the fake server. He doesn't have security issues with dynamic modifications. There are no problems with the propagation to the secondary name servers because there aren't any secondary name servers. Um, his only issue is about DNS forwarding because given his infrastructure, the IP address of this uh, Python-based name server must be the same as the real DNS. He would need to configure the real server to forward those requests to another port in the same machine, something different from port 53. Can this be done with regular bind? So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff here. Yeah, so maybe we should start by explaining why he needs to do this, why Let's Encrypt requires it. This is what you call a domain-validated certificate. And let's say that you want a certificate for the domain example.com. You need to prove ownership of example.com, and the bar is relatively low. They'll issue the cert, but you have to prove that you at least own that domain. So you can either put something on a web page under example.com, or you can put something in DNS. This ACME protocol, and I'm actually an expert on this ACME protocol because I spent two whole minutes reading the specification. If you're going to do this the DNS way, you need a TXT record at underscore acme-challenge.example.com. So the challenge, no pun intended, is to get a TXT record with a blob of data that Let's Encrypt specifies at that name. I, I wanted to question a couple of the things that he said up front. Um, he talked about why he found it unsatisfactory to, to automatically, via dynamic update, add this. And he said, well, if I allow dynamic modifications, then he loses the ability to edit the zone by hand. Um, that hasn't really been true of, of bind name servers in a while. Um, you can use RNDC, what is it, RNDC freeze and RNDC thaw, and, and those will allow you to, to basically 
have the name server write back all of the dynamic, uh, all the dynamic data from the in-memory version of the zone uh, to the zone data file and stop processing. I think uh, for for a while, then you can edit the zone data file and then you can thaw it again. So it's not strictly true that you can't do that. And and uh, Bert, I would think that you probably have a mechanism like that in Power DNS as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. So so like like Matt, I'm also an expert in the ACME protocol. Then <laughs> um, he said, "Well, of course, let's encrypt make, makes me very happy because it, it has allowed me to encrypt far more stuff uh, in my infrastructure than I was previously um, sort of willing to take the hassle for." So it's good stuff. Um, but typically, if you look at, at, at how PowerDNS people look into this, because we make it so easy to script specific queries. Uh, because basically every backend that we have in PowerDNS is its own separate module. So we have this MySQL module and the PostgreSQL module and the LDAP module. Uh, and we also have a thing called the remote backend and the pipe backend, which allow you to basically put any Perl script or Python script or whatever um, within PowerDNS. So um, that has actually enabled uh, a bunch of people already to build their own sort of ACME responders into PowerDNS. Mm, excellent. Uh, and by that you have this, these, these records which are not not yeah part of your zone. Uh, um, they're not in the zone file and actually if you would look in the database you, would, you wouldn't find these records but they they get intercepted by, by a backend that says oh yeah I know about this question. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of sort of yeah hides. I'm, I'm not sure if it would make make our the, the make, make Jesus uh, happy uh, if it would uh, solve his, his entire problem, because there's there's a little bit of magic going on when we do this. Um, so if you look in the normal zone, you wouldn't see the magic record, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah. Um, but actually, yesterday, uh, so we have this 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 PowerDNS IR, IRC channel with uh, 200 people, where we where yeah we collaborate on PowerDNS. And actually, even yesterday, we had a, uh, a not too small uh, hosting company from New Zealand uh, uh, barge into the IRC channel uh, and uh, asking for help with actually setting this kind of script script up. So it, it's the kind of thing that that, that people really want. And, uh, and like I said, like like Matt, I'm really an expert on <laughs> PowerDNS and Acme. So I did a I just did a Google query on Acme PowerDNS, and the first hit I find is that someone has written a plugin for this already uh, in a thing called the PDNS Manager. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it appears that people are doing uh, this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The second concern that he had about security, again, I, I, I'm not sure that he's necessarily looking at the full feature set of the name servers that he's working with. So he says he has to delegate the addresses he, he needs to update to their own zones, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I mean, it used to be the case in the bad old days that with a bind name server, you had access controls for dynamic updates that were only set at the granularity of a zone, right? You could only say, oh, uh, you can either dynamically update this zone from this IP address or you can't update the zone. And if you could update the zone, you could potentially delete its entire content, save for the SOA record and an NS record and add something different back in. But nowadays, you, you've got the update policy uh, statement. As long as you're sending a TSIG signed dynamic update, which I'm sure he's capable of doing, uh, if he's capable of writing uh, code that autom automates this, uh, he could send a TSIG signed dynamic update, and and Matt, you said there's a particular domain name that needs to be updated, right? And and then you could just say, uh, 
updates that are signed with this TSIG key can only update uh, whatever they are, text records that are are attached to this domain name. And that would, I think, mitigate that risk. And again, I think you probably have similar features within PowerDNS, right? Yeah, yeah. These days we do have uh, a lot of that stuff. I don't, I don't actually know if we have per record TSIG granularity. I know we have a requirement for that out from a big user. Um, but the other thing I really think of, if you if you automate this these challenges, it's I mean, it's great of course to automatically renew your old your own domain names. Uh, but let's say you would put this up and, and you have 100,000 domain names and, and, and you tell the server that, okay, you, you, must, you, you will support ACME challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually sort of like the, the old way where we say, look, the, if you are able to edit the zone, that proves your ownership of the zone. That's, that's the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you have a name server that just says, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do the ACME challenges for you, you you're not, I'm not sure what you're proving anymore. <laughs> You're proving that you have a name server. <laughs> These things, I, I have to admit, I, 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 I do appreciate the magic that I suddenly have a certificate. Uh, but, and, but I sometimes do wonder that, that when you make it so easy, that I wonder, well, but did we actually jump through all the hoops? Mm-hmm. Did we actually not, not allow anyone to maybe delegate something to my zone that is not even actually, that, that is not even on my server? Yeah, but 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 here, yeah, here it shows that 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 we're yeah we're these five minute Google experts here. <laughs> <laughs> the, the last thing that he mentioned about secondary propagation, I was a little alarmed by that. He said a, a potentially long time to uh, to propagate his own to the secondaries. He said minutes or hours, and hours. <laughs> I mean, you you. you Something is going wrong if uh, propagation of your zone to its secondaries is taking taking hours, and you're using Notify. Yeah, I, I, on the one hand, on the one hand, I agree. On the other hand, so I've had this conversation with people, and they they didn't they did they, they yeah they didn't trust notifies and zone transfers. And I said, why? Well, if if said if it's broken, if if we cannot do this 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 zone transfer within a few seconds, then something is broken. And and then they said, well, we have twenty two million domain names. Mm. And um, and it turns out that that the the naive sort of algorithms by which you try to pull for changes and then say okay this is the list of domains that actually need to be changed um, it doesn't go that swimmingly when you have 22 million domain names yeah um, and you run into these issues that, that we actually run into so you you start the server it finds that that it needs to do seven and a half million uh, notifications. Um, and then it starts sending out seven, seven and a half million UDP packets. <laughs> um, but we cannot actually, I cannot actually make this tight loop that just says we're going to blast uh, uh, a whole gigabit of notifications at you because it kills everything dead. Um, and, and, and you don't actually have that bandwidth typically to your, your, your slave servers. So there's a little bit of sleep in there just to, to sort of be kind to the network. And... Um, so there, there. So while similarly, cricket, like like you said, well, that that should be fast. Well, I, I got schooled a little bit by the people that actually have twenty million domain names. Um, they said, well, it's not all that's cracked up to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, have we have we beaten Jesus's uh, uh, <laughs> question to death at this point? Well, in any any case, I I I, I would invite him to join the the PowerDNS uh, IRC channel. Uh, because we have a, a guy with a wonderful name, um, no no parrot. He's called no parrot. And uh, Mister, uh, yeah, no parrot, which is I, th- I I think a Monty Python reference, and uh, and he's working on it right now. So and I, I think he would love to cooperate. So uh, Jesus is uh, very welcome to join us. 
Do you want to say how to find the PowerDNS IRC channel? So it's, it's, it's actually on, on uh, our website, PowerDNS.com. And if you click the uh, open source button, uh, it has uh, a link to the right server and also a link to a web-based uh, IRC client. And, uh, and yeah, it's very easy to join us there. It's like Slack before people had Slack. <laughs> so are you guys not big Slack fans? Do you uh, not use it? So some of us do, and um, and and I actually I, I do not. That's not for sort of. Well, it's partially for sort of, yeah, religious reasons in the sense that I I'm not happy that that we took this distributed communications infrastructure that the whole open source world was built on, and it was ugly, but it was very functional, or it, it is ugly and it is still very functional, which is the IRC networks, and then someone came along and made it pretty, and now all of a sudden, all of a sudden this has to be in the cloud, and corporate compliant, and logged forever, and with access to your human resources department. So, um, so while we have used Slack to interact with other projects, it, it's not something that, that I feel, I don't feel the need, Particularly to to put all that stuff up with uh, with a unicorn uh, billion dollar startup, which I'm sure one day is going to monetize my my chat traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually I've, I've never used it. I know what it is, but uh, I, I have not used it. I have used it, and I find it very frustrating. It's one more thing on my desk that can interrupt me when I'm in the middle of something. Yeah, we have that problem with. I mean, that's a problem that that is not unique to Slack. We we have that with 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 IRC uh, uh, directly because yeah, PowerDNS is this open source company, but we're also this this yeah, we also run a business and and we have a an IRC channel that we coordinate our business on, and there are people in lots of countries. And and I'm as a sort of as an employer, I'm now indeed getting to the point that I'm going to tell people, look, I'm going to close this channel down at night. Um, because you need to be with your family and you need to be at home and do other stuff and don't feel the pressure to stay up to date with the commits that other people are, are, are doing on the code or whatever. I mean, go home, uh, do something else. Nice. That's very enlightened. Well, yeah, well, yeah, for, I'm, for, I'm from Europe, so it comes, it comes with the social, it comes with the socialist, it comes with the socialist mindset here. Okay. The um, last question I think we have time for today comes from long suffering listener, Yorgos Adamopoulos, and he tweeted at us, but uh, also emailed us, and his question is, I am not very up to date with the blockchain and how it works, but my understanding is that it is a database that only grows and can be tamper-proof. So one could implement a namespace on a blockchain and register names there on a first-come, first-served basis. Could this be the basis of a truly federated namespace for name resolution without the need of a central authority for the root? Yeah, so it turns out the answer from at least from a sort of theoretical standpoint is, is, is yes. Uh, so even a few years ago, uh, we forcibly became aware of a group of people called the Namecoin. And uh, Namecoin does implement a naming structure based on the blockchain. And the interesting thing is that within the PowerDNS company, we're somewhat hype resistant. So when everyone around us started uh, investing and and, and innovating with the blockchain, we were like, look, go away. Uh, It's not our thing. But then the Namecoin uh, people, they really jumped on us because they had chosen PowerDNS as the platform uh, to power their blockchain-based naming system. And they started sending a lot of patches and, 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 and things. And um, and 
from a theoretical standpoint, there was nothing uh, sort of wrong with the idea. I mean, you can you can register the ownership of a name in such a technology. It it, it is entirely possible. But the the reason why we 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 did not become super enthusiastic about it is that from a fundamental perspective, from a fundamental point, you're looking at a sort of fully distributed system that somehow does provide unique naming uh, with no central point of reference Um, and also no no dispute resolution uh, protocol in there. and, and that is what, what got us a little bit confused because when, when, when you, that is actually not the properties you want because this is, you, you would like to say, okay, th- this person can register this name and, uh, but they can also let it lapse and then someone else can do it. But we could also have dispute resolution. And in this fully libertarian world where um, proof of work is king, it's very hard to see how you would implement any form of, 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 of dis- dispute resolution. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I think you've hit on a good point, which is that this really isn't um, a technical problem. It's really a a non-technical problem. And I suppose I risk that sounding self-serving, considering I work for ICANN and responsible for the Internet (laughs) system of unique identifiers. I was going to say, you you might have to recuse yourself. (laughs) I think if we we start that way, we can sort of all hang up right now. Exactly. Well, I do think, though, uh, in the case of uh, Internet's namespace, you, you do need an arbiter. Uh, it, it is a shared resource, and without that, you'd have chaos. And when I read this question, I thought of uh, a real-world example. I mean, uh, who remembers the Usenet alt hierarchy? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Remember alt.ensign.crusher.die.die.die? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an example of what happens when you don't have control of the namespace. It uh, quickly turns into a swamp. And that doesn't mean that it has to be, um, you know, heavy touch. It, it just means that somebody has to be uh, the the final say in terms of, uh, you know, what, what names there are. Somebody has to be the definitive authority or you'll have chaos. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I, I do. So, so at one point there was this period that sort of the Internet... People thought they had a right uh, to pirate pirate music, sort of a sort of God-given right, and that no one should be able to take that away from them. And then, of course, there were domain names that were being used to to direct you to the file sharing sites. And those names, it's still a sort of up in the air issue. So, when, for example, can law enforcement impound a domain name? That's a very strange situation still, because every once in a while you see a domain name. Uh, and you go there and you get this FBI logo that says this domain name has been impounded, um, which of course makes some people like really unhappy because it's, look, it was my domain name and, and I was downloading my music there and I don't want any FBI logos on there. And um, so I can I can sort of see the attraction where people say, look, I don't want a DNS with no central point that, that there's nothing you could sue to 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 block my domain name. So I, I I can see the attraction. But on the other hand, even with today's DNS and and DNSSEC, it, it's not even as even with the current sort of simple architecture, which we made a lot more complex with DNSSEC, of course, it's not it's not as reliable as I'd want it to be uh, without adding the blockchain to it. All right. Well, do you think that constitutes a, a, a full episode? 
Well, we do need our light banter at the end. No episode is complete <laughs> without the light banter. That's true. We, we did. Well, l- let me share. Let me share an anecdote then. Let me share an anecdote. When, 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 when Matt Matt visited the Netherlands, and and I was all excited because the the, the big Matt Larson from Very Sign was going to visit me, my tiny country. And and he was coming here to to uh, to to uh, get a course in uh, in organ playing, mm-hmm. and uh, because Matt is a very musical person, so I was proud of my my, my Dutch heritage, and and then we went for lunch, and and I wanted to tell Matt about all the, the the some of the organ stuff I knew about in the Netherlands, and then I found out that Matt could literally school me for hours on the organ production in the Netherlands, <laughs> and uh, and I I left a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I really enjoyed the lunch, but I, I, I left the lunch uh, with a very healthy schooling and not assuming that you know more about something than, than someone else. So since since then, I read up on my Dutch organ manufacturing, of course, <laughs> because I, uh, I could not let this stand. We should have lunch again. Yeah, we, we should. We should. But uh, Yeah, that was a nice lunch. I remember that fondly. And I have a, an anecdote about that trip as well. Um, this was in... 2002 when there wasn't you know wi-fi in every corner and i remember wondering uh, in advance uh, what i was going to do for internet access and i i remember emailing you and asking and you very kindly uh, gave me your login to some dial-up isp so that that really helped me a lot and i appreciate it so thank you yeah yeah these that's good to hear because these days sort of when when we travel you 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 still i mean these days you have to go through the hassle of getting some sort of local sim card yeah uh and 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 i'm always jealous of sort of the people in the u.s because you you can travel a thousand miles and still use your own uh, internet subscription and get useful internet and i cannot drive 200 miles uh, before i leave the country and get all these horrible roaming charges Mm -hmm. Um, they they did. Uh, is, isn't there a, a move afoot uh, among Europe, the European government to do away with the roaming charges? Or is the yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's a lot better now. It's 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 leaps. I mean, it's a lot better now. So so I, I can go abroad and 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 roam gigabytes for very uh, reasonable fees. And uh, starting next year, uh, the idea was to abandon the roaming charges completely. But of course, since the, the cell phone companies make billions uh, out of that, they they didn't simply let that stand. So they, they tried to find a definition of roaming, which sort of meant that if you went on holiday more than three times, then, then it was no longer uh, considered casual roaming and you were back at the horrible fees. Yeah. Um, so this actually this is this is slated to to get enter into force in June 2017. And and the details the details are still being uh, still being uh, yeah negotiated about, but it's going to be I mean for us it's really it's it's one of the, the things that is really a big advantage in the U S that you you can do business all over the the U S and 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 stay on your same Wi Fi uh, sorry your same data plan and if I have to do business three hundred miles away uh, suddenly my my data charges go through the roof yeah yeah um, so I I hope it gets fixed. <laughs> I'm a Verizon Wireless subscriber, and they have this really slick plan called Travel Pass. And it's not real old, six months or so. And for $10 US a day in over 100 countries, it's as if you're just in the US in terms of usage. It's, it's just like you're on your regular plan. It's, uh, it's a great value. I used it when I was in Europe. It's fantastic. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, 
Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it has really enhanced my, my, my vis visits to other places because suddenly I can just look up where I need to go and, and, and I actually get, I can visit a better museum, I can visit a better restaurant and, uh, and I can figure out how the, the local public transport works uh, simply because I do not have to pay 100 euros for my roaming charges. So yeah, it, it does make a difference. Yeah, not, not too long ago when I was in Europe roaming on my carrier, uh, <laughs> the carrier I will not name since, I'm, since the story I'm going to tell does not paint them in a particularly pretty light. I think I calculated that uh, the a la carte, if, if you didn't buy a bundle of data, the a la carte uh, pay-as-you-go rate was roughly $20,000 a gigabyte. <laughs> you could go to the moon. You could go to the moon for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's astounding. Well, all right. I think that brings us to the end. I think this is a good place to wrap up. Um, I'd really like to say thanks to our special guest, Bertie Bear. Thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Bert. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm really very happy to have been on the show. And, uh, and I uh, yeah, look forward to hearing the result. And finally, just a reminder that uh, our mailbag is now empty. So we really do need your questions. Please email us at uh, MrDNS, that's MRDNS, at ask-MrDNS.com. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.